0: Welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Today we got a special treat for you. We are broadcasting live from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. We're just wrapping up the Ag PhD Tiling Clinic, and we're getting a lot of drainage questions here. We've got folks literally from all across the country that, that are at this event. And so you may hear some questions that you say, wow, I didn't know anybody was doing tiling in my state or in my area. Huh, guess what? They're here. <laughs> and we're talking about all these issues that are coming up. Uh, for those of you who are in the audience here, uh, in the live audience here in the Morton Center, if you have a question, just raise your hand. you got a couple of folks on the side with, uh, with microphones, I'll take your question. If you wouldn't mind just saying your first name and what state you're from, that would help us kind of frame the, uh, the question up to you. Take our first question.
1: Hello, Jim from South Dakota. We've been talking about the Waters of the U.S. rule and how it's probably going to change again and these navigable waterways. Is there a list somewhere? I live by the Vermilion River in southeastern South Dakota, and I know you you guys are by the Big Sioux, are they considered, the smaller ones, navigable waterways?
2: You know what I found, Jim, is I try to ask fewer questions sometimes and uh, just go do what I'm gonna do as a farmer and hope for the best. All right. So on. Well, I'm just being honest with you. That's what that's what I do. But I I, I would say, is that navigable? Are they going to call it navigable? They probably are. They probably are.
0: It's been it's been interesting, too, just how much has changed. So uh, when the Trump administration was there, they were changing things one way and then uh, Biden's undoing the stuff that Trump did. Well, Trump was undoing the, the predecessor to him. So. You just don't know which way it's going to go from one year to the next, and that's what's frustrating. What I think about with a lot of these regulations on tiling is when the regulations are in your favor, that's a good time to act and act quickly because they could certainly change in a year or in four years or whatever.
2: and, And here's the big thing. I don't care if they call it navigable or not. For me as a farmer and as an agronomist, I don't want to be putting pollution into anybody's water. And that's why we want a tile. Because I know that if I have runoff off my field, that's going to be far, far more polluted than tile lines and that water. So if I can get the water to filter down through the soil, the soil is the best water filter that there is. And then that water coming out is quite clean. That's why we test our water fairly often. And what we find is non-detectable levels of phosphorus. And remember, phosphorus is the number one issue in fresh water in the United States today for water quality. And number two, we almost never have more than 10 parts per million of nitrate nitrogen. And so if you go test in the Vermilion River, you go test the big sewer, these rivers around here, usually you're going to find 0.2 for, for nitrate nitrogen, maybe two parts per million on nitrate nitrogen. That's it. So we, don't, we aren't to the, the threshold where we're creating pollution out there, and that's really the number one issue that we're after, and I think the government's after too.
0: Great, great right, Great question. Uh, Brian, get one. Yep. Pattern tiling reduces the peak flow of water, <laughs> yep. but does it increase overall
2: volume of drainage
0: flow in
2: the short term and or long term? In the short term, it's going to increase the amount of water that's going out because you got to get that initial flush taken care of, get the water table down. After that long term, there's going to be less water going downstream. And I come back to something I mentioned this morning. If I had 300 bushel corn, versus 100 bushel corn which one of those two is going to use more water the 300 bushel corn and the only way that that farmer can pay for tile is with yield increase if i have more yield i'm going to pull more water out of the soil so long term there absolutely is going to be less water going downstream we had some areas where we had drainage problems year after year after year put tile in first couple years the tile lines ran And they haven't run since. Even in those super wet years that we had in 2018 and 19, we had some tile lines that didn't run. It's not because they were plugged up. It's simply because we were raising tremendous crop there. We got some areas on our farm that are 275 bushel corn consistently. My goodness is that different from when we put the tile in and we were getting 100 bushel corn in those same spots.
0: Makes a big difference. All
2: right. Uh, How? And again, for our live audience, if you've got a question, just raise your hand. We'll come around to you. Otherwise, we're getting to a lot of the questions uh, that that we got earlier from people here in our audience. So anyway, uh, yeah, if you could just give us your first name and the state you're from, uh, that would be great. Yep, go ahead.
3: Uh, We've got one field, and it's a quarter, and it uh, has a lot of fall. Yep up to a wet area Kay. in the the fall they put a 10 inch it's a county tile they put a 10 inch up to ours and then they they went with a 15 inch okay from there on across yep since then they added miles and miles of tile on up ahead and the it comes to that 10 inch and the down, oh, are, the fall doesn't take care of it.
2: Oh, so you're saying that they've got a 15 inch coming in and then it's a 10 inch going out, and so there's water that's building up in your field?
3: Right, because it yep. isn't a, it's, there, there's, the idea yeah. was I got way you. more fall, but right,
2: right. it's not working. Right, so you're from Minnesota, so you'd probably have to go to that drainage district and say, look, we got a problem here, here's the proof of that, and can you work with me on this? you know, a lot of times they will, but you just have to go provide them the evidence and have the talk with them. So, you know, South Dakota, we're a little bit different because we don't have drainage districts typically. So then it's just the conversation of one neighbor talking to another neighbor. So yeah, Iowa and Minnesota, I I mean, I don't know what system's better, but I'm just saying it is a little bit different for you than it would be for me. Yep, good question though.
0: All right, Brian, had one come in about uh, irrigation. If you've got an irrigated piece of land, uh, how does it work to do subsurface drainage in that field? Is it necessary?
2: Well, I, I mean, just because you have irrigation, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to have tile down in the ground. But what we commonly see with irrigated lands is buildup of sodium, especially, in some cases, salt as well. And in other cases, what happens is, because the irrigation may not be perfect and sometimes there's over-irrigation, over-watering, what we see in some cases is sometimes that water table can build up in certain parts of the field where you don't want it. So it's easy if you had all sand, it was all a three CEC and you're in a super hot, humid area where you go, you know what, I could keep throwing water there forever, I'm never gonna have a problem. But the issue that a lot of us have is we have variable soils and if it goes, Heavier ground to lighter ground, boy, in that heavier ground you definitely might need tile there and everywhere you might need it if you're getting too much sodium. Alright, we'll dig more into irrigating
0: with that water as well, coming up right after this.
1: Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPVD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough 5VC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterham. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5VC or visit belchemusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
4: Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Xywei brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or ziway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions.
3: As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers.
4: What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide. The latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down, non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to AGPHD Radio broadcasting from the Morton Center at the AGPHD Field Day site following the AGPHD Tiling Clinic. Thanks for for tuning in today and we also do have a live audience here. Uh, asking some questions mostly around drainage,
2: but of course any agronomic question is always fair game on our show. Hey, Darren, I had a few others that came in just right at the end here. I'll pop all of them up and we can cover whichever one you would like to next. Okay. I just want to finish up on that one. Just before
0: the break, we were talking about if I had overhead irrigation and I was going to put in subsurface drainage, how would that work? How about if I had tile lines and I could also push water back through them to irrigate my field? Have you guys seen that? It doesn't
2: work. (laughs) Yes. does that work great? I don't necessarily love it, but it, it can work. Yeah, and, Where to, you... and to frame it up,
0: you, you can't just say, well, that field has tile in it. I should be able to push water back through. No, no, it doesn't work that way. You'd have to plan for that going into it and do the tiling quite differently than you would if you said, I'm just trying to drain.
2: Well, not necessarily that much different, but you'd want to keep it probably more shallow. Uh, And so, can it be done? Yes. Realistically though, most people just say, look, it's cheaper to put in less tile and do it the way I would like to just drain my field, and then I'll put in an overhead irrigation system rather than trying to pump water back through those tile lines. Uh, I'd also say if you wanted to put tile lines in and then you wanted to use subsurface drip tape, uh, you could certainly do that. Tile lines are typically down at three, four, five feet deep, whereas subsurface drip tape, you're usually in that kind of 14 to 20 inch range, so it is more shallow. Uh, so that, that can certainly be done, but the most common thing, especially in the Midwest, is people just put tile below ground and then they'll put in the overhead irrigation system it's the cheapest, it's the easiest, it's the quickest way to irrigate, so if you want to do that, then I mean that's generally speaking our suggestion, at least in the Midwest. All right
0: again if you have a question just go ahead and raise your hand here and we'll get to you. Uh, this one come in, will tile improve alkali spots over time and also kind of ties in, is there any effective way to lower salt or to lower sodium in the soil other than tiling?
2: Okay, so our dad used to use that term quite often too, alkali spots. It's like we need a definition though on what's the alkali really mean because salts are leachable. And if all we have in that soil is a high salt level, no big deal. We put the tile in and over time, the salts are going to flush out with water naturally because again, salts are leachable. Now, if we're talking about a sodium problem, that's a little bit different. Sodium is not a salt just by itself. And we get high sodium levels. Now we get our, our soil being really tight And we I mean to the point where if you get enough sodium you cannot even penetrate into that soil it's that bad. So with sodium what we have to do there is we have to turn it into a salt. So that's why a lot of times people will talk about putting gypsum out there or putting straight elemental sulfur out there. So they can get the sulfate to combine with the sodium to form sodium sulfate that's a salt and that is leachable. So either way, our suggestion is first put tile lines in, and then we got we to gotta go from there. So if we see we have high sodium and we also have super crazy high sulfur levels, because sometimes that happens, then it, the soil might fix itself on its own, because that sulfate by itself might just start merging together with the sodium. Otherwise, we're going to have to put more out there sooner or later.
0: All right, I had a question come in uh, online this from Randy. He said, "I'm curious, what is the difference between when you talk about nitrate in the water versus nitric acid? Is it the same thing or is it different?" Well, the chemical formula for nitrate is yeah. NO3. The chemical formula for nitric acid is H no 3 So it, it is different. It's two different things that we're talking about. Brian, you were talking about this this morning. Uh, where, where do we worry about the,
2: the nitrate in the water
0: versus the nitric oxide?
2: Uh, oh, okay, well, we're getting into a few different things here. I'm, I'll, I'll just say this. Anytime we have nitrate, that's one of the big things that people worry about with tile lines and oh, we're going to lose our nitrate. And that is true. We have to be careful about how much nitrogen we're putting out there so if we have heavy soil and and lots of organic matter our that that can lock up a fair amount of our nitrogen and we don't have to worry as much about leaching but if we have lighter soil we're getting lots of rainfall then we always have to worry about leaching whether it goes in the tile line or it just goes down below the root zone either way for us as the farmer we lost money so that's why we want to be real careful about our nitrogen. And so we didn't go through it today or anything. We did it at our soils clinic. We often talk about 10 times your CEC. That's roughly what your soil can hold at any one time. So if you had a cation exchange capacity or CEC of, let's say, 15, you take 15 times 10, that's 150 pounds of nitrogen. If your soil's already got 50 pounds sitting there, we'd tell you, hey, don't put more than 100 pounds on now. Otherwise, you, you got a lot of risk for leaching. And this is also why we talk as much as we do about side dressing or just, you know, these uh, split applications, doing some in season, we have a lot less risk there. So with nitrate, it'll commonly turn to nitric acid when it's going to leach out. And when it it does that, then it'll, it'll commonly strip calcium out of your soil and lower your soil's pH, meaning you then have to put lime on to fix your pH in the end. With nitric oxide, what can happen is that can go up in the air and that actually can be a really bad greenhouse gas. They say that that's 300 times more potent than carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. Think about that. 300 times more potent as a greenhouse gas, nitric oxide. So, we don't want nitric oxide and where do we have that problem? Well, we've got it in these poorly drained areas. So, the fix is tile. You get tile there, and then we don't have uh, this nitric oxide going up in the air. And then the other thing is we've got more crop there to use the nitrogen up. So another thing that I didn't throw in our, our tile book today or anything, there was just a few years ago, a farmer from Minnesota comes up after one of our meetings, Soils Clinic, I think it was, and he goes, Brian, i got to tell you about this, uh, this, this work I'm doing with the University of Minnesota. He said they wouldn't publish their findings in the end because it didn't turn out the way they wanted it to. And I go, oh, that's interesting. Let's hear the story. And he goes, OK, so here's the deal. We, we did this tile study where it's uh, basically they're trying to tell us all as farmers that we need to put on less nitrogen. OK, so anyway, he said we split the field up into three. We put on normal rate of nitrogen and a third. We put on double the rate of nitrogen and a third. And we put on no nitrogen in a third. And he said, where do you think the most nitrogen or nitrate was in the water in the tile line? And I said, well, I, w- I would assume where it was double the nitrogen application. And he said, nope, it's where they put on no nitrogen. And I go, oh, I didn't even think about that. Because you put no nitrogen on, your plants are all stunted. Then when you have organic matter mineralization, your, your soil releases nitrogen every year. There was nothing there to use it up. And he goes, you're dead on right. He said, I got 5% organic matter soils, if not six. So I got all this free nitrogen that I'm creating in my soil every year without a crop there to use it up. Where does that nitrate go? It all goes downstream. Okay, so you got to be thinking all the time. It's not just, oh, tile lines are going to be harmful. No, actually, tile lines can be more beneficial sometimes when you're doing things right. So like uh, even our farm right here, for the last 10 years now, South Dakota State University's had this study going on where they had wood chips uh, to catch our, our tile water. And they tested the water going into the wood chips and the water after the wood chips, because the idea was to suck up the nitrogen. Well, what they found is we had almost no nitrate in our tile water anyway. And then afterwards, there definitely was zero. But they they studied it all these years and I think they were kind of hoping we'd have a lot more nitrate coming out of our field than we did but we had really good crop. All right, Go so ahead sir. Question.
3: Dale from Minnesota uh we grow uh, quite a bit of grass hay mm-hmm. just because we used to have a cow herd and yep. we don't anymore so now instead of hauling manure we sell hay yeah but what we've seen with tile going through some of the grass areas getting up to ground that's row crop is after about 10 years with some deep rooted grasses, we're having some tiles being plugged. Yep. How Have deep you, are your tile lines? Oh, they're three and a half. Yep. About three and a three half. half. And, uh, uh, you know, it gets to be about three four feet long in the tile and yep. eventually it just shuts her down yep. you can tell where it's at because it's wet right here and dry Ooh. right there dale,
0: dale yep. brings up a great point and and we'll dig into that right after this break you're listening to ag phd radio or broadcasting from the morton center at the ag phd field day site following the ag phd tiling clinic we'll be right back with more questions after this
4: This is a wake-up call for you and your field's microbiome
3: from Source by Sound Agriculture. Source is a revolutionary foliar-applied biochemistry that doesn't rely on bulky nutrients or finicky biologicals to wake up your soil and unlock more nutrients per acre, all with a low use rate. It's like caffeine for microbes. Source works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use. So if you're a grower, go to sound.ag and learn more. And if you're a microbe, time to
0: rise and shine. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other AgPHD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you learn more about these events and register go to agphd.com no matter what time of the year it is on your farm with a Bayer plus
4: rewards program earning and redeeming rewards are always in season because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year you earn three dollars per acre in cash back rewards cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season that's Bayer plus rewards and that's how we're helping make every part of your season well rewarding Visit mybayerplus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full
3: details.
0: Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle, and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're taking questions from our audience here following the Ag PhD Tiling Clinic in the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. And just before the break, we were talking with Dale uh, from Minnesota, and we'll we'll talk with Dale a little bit more, too, if he's got follow-ups on this. But Dale's question was a good one. When we've got crops like alfalfa, like uh, permanent grass, like some of these deep-rooted cover crops, they're desirable for many reasons. The challenge is, hey, I've got tile out in that ground that's sitting at three feet deep. Do I need to change the depth of my tile if I want to have a permanent crop or a a multi-year crop like alfalfa in my rotation? Or is there a way to to stop those roots from getting into the tile lines?
2: Okay, I'd say three things. Uh, Number one, let's say it was alfalfa. Rather than leaving the stand-in for six years or seven years, I'd try to take it out in three. And people that have done that have had a lot better luck. Uh, Two is if you are going to permanently have tile out there, permanently have uh, grass or something that's going to be deep-rooted, I I realize this is a little out of the norm, but instead of going at three or three and a half feet, we'd probably tell you try to put the tie lines in as deep as possible five feet five and a half feet well and, you can. and to be
0: honest you look back at the tile that went in 90 or 100 years ago or even more a lot of those are at six feet deep so if you say well i don't know i can't really handle six feet deep here well, oh that's what some of the tile is that's well, been out there for a long uh, time. yeah
2: but that was for a whole different reason the reason why the stuff went in at six I feet i understand that the reason it went in six feet 100 years ago is the people had no money but they had all kinds of excess labor so what they did is they just dug the tile line down, clear down to six feet. So then it would take water from a long ways away. So they could get by with fewer tiles by having it deeper. But anyway, yeah, I'd just say have that, have the tile lines deeper, and then there it. it Instead of being 10 years, it might be 15 or 20 years before you have to replace anything. And then the third thing I would say is there are systems that you can clean out that tile line. So there are some companies out there, not many, but they can go in and actually clean out that tile line. So otherwise, what you're left with is you just say, well, tile didn't work anymore, filled all the way in in 10 years or 15 years, and now i got to go replace it. And I mean, this, it's all math, and it's all economics, and if you're making enough money that you can afford to put in new tie lines every 10 or 15 years, who cares? If not, then, then you got to try to work on one of these alternatives. So in the short term, what I would do is if you're having problems, I'd look for one of these other companies, and I know some of our people in the back could probably give you the answer, maybe a couple of names uh, where they can go in. It's like a Roto-Rooter thing, and, and then they go way in and, and uh, hopefully get your tie line open again.
0: All right, Brian, I had a couple things come in about the Army Corps of Engineers, about uh, operating dams, and can they be changed a little bit? Also, are there times when you may have a drainage project that you need to have the Army Corps of Engineers
2: involved in the planning? This question comes from Minnesota. I'm trying to think of the general's name, Uh, Pick. Uh, who, uh, uh, I don't remember what the, na- the name of the act was in Congress. It was pick something. And anyway, his quote was, this will end destructive floods in the Missouri River when they put these dams in. Okay, And it should have. But what happened since then is the Army Corps of Engineers heard from all these people that said, well, we want to use the dams for recreation. Look, the dams are put in for flood control let's use them for flood control and we got no issues but the problem is when they're trying to keep these dams high in the fall or winter or early spring well what do you think's gonna happen you're gonna get record rainfall sooner or later and then you have way too much water and then oh no now we need to get rid of it <laughs> well you're too late you should have gotten rid of it in the fall so they're, they're, it, it, that's a political thing and so my suggestion is if you don't like it then get involved in politics which I hate to even say that because that's a terrible profession. But anyway, uh, or lobby or do whatever. But, I mean, the Army Corps of Engineers controls that. And if they just use those dams for flood control, there'd be zero issue. And that's the way they were originally designed, just so you know. Uh, So here again, I would say I'd I'd almost answer this the way I answered the first question. I'd ask fewer questions uh, and just go do stuff rather than uh, ask a whole bunch of questions, I'll tell you a personal experience from our farm from about uh, probably seven, eight years ago where I bought uh, I bought some ground and somebody else bought the, uh, the, the same ground right next to it. It had a crick going through it. I called the Corps of Engineers. Uh, actually, I, I let's see, who did I start with? I think I started with a local... Uh, Drainage District. They said talk to NRCS. They said call the Corps of Engineers. So I talked to all these people. I call the Corps. I call them again. I call them again. And they said, okay, well, you got to do this, this. I said, I want to do this. Okay, you got to fill this paperwork out, everything else. I did this got it finally done it was no big deal no big expense or anything else the neighbor just went and did his didn't talk to a single person nobody said anything since on his it's like okay i went through all this work and basically the army corps of engineer engineer, engineers guy said yeah we don't really care about your thing anyway i'm like oh my gosh so i went through all this rigmarole and i really didn't need to do it anyway because they're too busy doing all kinds of other stuff they don't care about some little crick that occasionally runs here in south dakota But as I say that, you got to follow whatever channels it is, so talk to your local NRCS people and they'll hopefully direct you appropriately. Okay, we got another question from our audience here. Uh, My name's Kurt. I'm from North Dakota. My question is you talked about that one year you shut the lines off. Too early. Too early. Yep. When do you, do you normally always shut your lift stations off or what, what, what's your guidelines on that? Okay. What do you do? Yep. One of the things that some people have talked about is these drainage water management systems where you can shut the tile line off and they say, oh, this is great. Cause there are certain times of the year, no water needs to go out. And I say, well, wait a second here. There are microbes that are living in my soil year round. And if I flood them out, that means I give them no oxygen. That means they're going to die. So I don't want to do that if I have shallow tile lines. I never want that water table to go high. Our situation is a little different because we have a lift station that's 20 feet down in the ground, 20. So we're not talking about three foot tile. I mean, yeah, a bunch of the lines are at three feet. But U.S. Geological Survey has a monitoring well in that field, and so when that water table get got, I think that year it was down to which four. Which
0: by which, by the way, right now in that field, it's at just about nine and a half feet down. Okay. So there's water nine and a half well, feet down. There's water sitting in the bottom of our lift station there, but in reality, nine and a half feet down, we don't need to pump anything out. We We'd be pumping a little bit out of there, but not much.
2: Yep, but I I figure that we're maybe a foot to a two feet different in the middle of that field. So I look at it as maybe a couple feet higher. So when he says nine, I think in the middle of our field, in the worst spot, we're probably at seven. Let's call it seven, seven and a half. Anyway, the point is I shut it off and I don't remember the exact number. It was four to five feet right in that range. So that would put it if I subtracted foot and a half, two feet, I was maybe right at that three foot depth. Okay. So I thought, ah, we're good. It's well into the year. Everything's fine. The crop's sucking all kinds of moisture out. But what I wasn't thinking about is it was a soybean crop, not a corn crop. If it was a corn crop, I might've gotten by. Cause at that point, when you're getting toward late June, the corn crop's massive. It's literally pulling out a half an inch per acre per day. When we get to that point down here, cause we're just about tassel. Uh, but soybeans are not pulling out near that much water. So anyway, then what happened is we got couple of big just massive rains turned the pump back on as fast as i could it is way too late so with soybeans my our rule now is unless i'm down to six feet on that so that should be four or four or and a half feet out in the field i'm not shutting that pump off so and it was granted it was a fluke here i, I mean we had double normal rainfall right, how often are we going to have that but uh, exactly
0: uh, but a fluke can happen yep you know whenever and i, I just love this is great i wish every question here would be Brian, let's talk about your biggest mistakes that you've made over your farming career. Let's relive those, go through them so everybody can learn. I think that's awesome. But
2: here's the whole thing. There are some of these things that are judgment calls. And what I always tell our people on our farm and any of our businesses, anything, is, look, when it comes time for a judgment call, when it's a big judgment, just ask me. I'll make the judgment call. So that way you don't have to feel bad if you screwed up or anything. It's always on me and I'm the one responsible. So you're you're fine, you can sleep good every night. I'll take all the risk. It's kind of like when we started tiling. So our our farm manager Mike, he was so nervous. And I'm like, "Mike, here's the deal. I'll just I'll tell you what to do. You just drive the tractor. So I have all the risk. If it gets screwed up, it's 100% on me. So you have no worries. All right?" So I, I think as farmers, we just have to be uh, willing to take the responsibility. And sometimes we see people who aren't, but I, I'm, I'm willing to step out. And sometimes it's going to cost us a bunch of money, but that's the way it goes. That's how you learn. By the way,
0: Brian's willing to do that for your grain marketing decisions, too. He'll take all the risk for you. You'll get the <laughs> high in the market. No, I wish it worked that way. All right, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, following the Ag PhD Tiling Clinic. And we'll be right back with more questions coming up after this.
4: During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex Herbicide. Paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre and post emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. You work for results. That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Start your crop off right with the Germinator closing wheel from Farm Shop Mfg. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at FarmShopMFG.com.
2: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are live today broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site right after a tiling clinic. We're going to get to another question from our audience. And if you could just give us your first name and the state you're from, we'd appreciate it. And then go ahead.
1: I'm Jerry from South Dakota. And I really appreciated what Darren said a little bit ago. I'm a guy who's learned from my mistakes. So I wanted to ask you about you mentioned in the tile clinic about putting some tile lines in too flat.
2: Yep.
0: Can you kind of follow up on that? Sure. And say how flat did you put them and what we, what you would have done different on that? You yeah. Mean the ones that we put in too flat like a mile straight north of here or the ones that we put in too flat Wait, like three a, miles? What's a mile straight north of here? Just, just on the east side of our great-grandpa's acreage. They're pretty flat, though. No, they're. no, they aren't. That, yeah.
2: that, no, that stuff is fine. The uh, only pro- uh, so uh, that's a different, that's a different problem that we've got. Okay. So we can we can get into that, but uh, but 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 anyway, the I was looking back for. Uh, but, cer- but certainly down on our grandpa's land right. on the river
0: bottom is what Brian was mentioning there. Yep. We definitely did go too flat, but but it's the only tile anywhere close to there either. So we had nobody else to learn from. So we gave it a shot.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, d- I don't have a picture in here of that specific one, but... but uh, oh, the I, Ag I
0: PhD g- guys have pictures. If you watched our television program and you saw flooded out ground, it's usually that field that we're showing pictures of. Uh, not every time, but
2: a number of times, because that one has, has certainly flooded. But anyway, I was just going to go back to, let's see, where I had the minimum slopes that you should have and then then i can give you an idea and that's on page 37 in your And so this field brandon made a
0: comment here that we tried doing this there was only so much slope that we could have unless we did a lift station we were trying to not do the lift station just because of the cost then you you have the cost like you had shown before uh on on one of our fields an 80 acre field that we did all the thailand we put that big 20 foot deep lift station I mean, it was anywhere from nothing on the dry year to 60 or $70 an acre on the really wet years. so we were hoping to avoid that.
2: Okay, so the minimum slope that it says there for 4-inch tile line is .05%, and we were about right at that, if we were even that. Never again will we do that. But anyway... Uh, I don't care so much because Darren owns the ground now. But now, uh, in, I, I would just say what we should have done is put in a lift station. Then we would have created our main line to go down and just created our own slope, basically, is what I'm trying to tell you. So that's what we would have done different. Now, this deal that Darren's talking about that's a mile north, that tile line, those lines are not that shallow. The only problem that we have there is we tried something different. Not so shallow. Our, our too guys flat, said, I thought. Oh, sorry, yeah, too, too flat. But anyway, the, our, our, our guys asked me, okay, Brian, rather than boring under the road, because, the, you know, we don't even have, the neighbor didn't even have anything on the south side. Darren now owns the ground on the south side, so we can do whatever we want now. But anyway, they said, how about if we do a forced drain? So basically, you're going to come down, and then you're going to go up right before the, the culvert. And I said, I don't like the idea of that at all. But we can try it, whatever, because worst case scenario, all we're going to do is go back, cut the line, and bore under eventually. Well, that was stupid. Okay, Never again will we do another one of those. We'll spend the money, and I know it stinks to spend the money on boring under the road and all that kind of thing, but you can't do that. Because what happens is you, where it's basically a sump there, and eventually it's going to fill in with dirt, now, it would be fine if there was constant water running through there and, you know, if the pressure was was great enough. But it's not like there was this huge hill right before it. So th- that is something we shouldn't have done. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad we did. We're always willing to try things. And this is something, too. If Darren and I ever disagree on something, we just say, you know what, let's we'll try it both ways. Let's try it out in the field and just see and I don't mind making mistakes because that's how I learn. That's how I get smarter. And then eventually, you know, we do things right and make more money. All right. Uh, yeah, again, if you got any questions, just uh, just raise your hand here. Otherwise we'll keep getting to these questions that were submitted to us. We got some that came in online too.
0: Okay, Dale uh, from Minnesota had a question about in, in grass. hay. well, Nick's following up here. He said, so if you have CRP sod, for example, Will I need to mechanically plow where I'm going to put lateral lines in pre-tile, or will a tile plow
2: be able to pull through CRP sod? Oh, yeah, your tile your tile plow can pull through the CRP sod, no problem. And don't forget, it's live roots that we care about. So if you have killed off your CRP with Roundup, for example, and now you're going to go seed corn or beans or whatever out there, there's no problem. No issue. We've done that.
0: Okay. Uh, how do I answer my downline landowner about the good of tiling as far as how much water is going to be in his ditch or field after i tile
2: well there's no perfect answer because nobody knows how much rain we're going to get and when we're going to get it i mean it's just like in 2018 and 2019 i you know, there's so much water coming from everywhere and it's all flooded everywhere. Is it the problem of the tile? Of course it's not. But you might get the blame of it because, oh, I got tile in now. and So there, there's no perfect answer. But I continue to go back to the simplest way to explain things is just, look, I want to put tile in because I have a drainage issue. I'm going to pay for the tile with more grain yield. I will get more yield there. When I have more yield, it will pull more water out. So long term, there's going to be less water heading to you, not more.
0: OK, uh, This we got several that were very similar to this one. Uh, what makes tiling such a good return on investment? Haven't done it yet because I know it's expensive. Uh, what kind of payback? How soon will I get my money back on my tile? <laughs>
2: We lucked out. We started doing a lot of our tiling in 2007. Do you remember what happened in 2007? The corn price was starting to go up, and then it continued going up. And we had, uh, what do we have, $7 corn in 2012. So, I mean, we had five years of great prices, and that's when we put in the majority of the tile on our farm. So most of our projects, other than the big one that we did where it cost us 1500 bucks, but most of the projects we paid for in one year. It was a one-year payback. So it, it just depends. What I, what I did, for those of you in attendance here, I just put on the screen all these benefits to tile. There are lots of them, lots. I'd say the, the biggest thing just all-encompassing is you're going to have much better soil health because now you have more air in that soil. You're going to keep your air level at 25% all the time. So what that does is it allows more root growth going down, which means you build more soil organic matter, which also means, by the way, you store more carbon. If you're worried about global warming or anything else, the, the carbon storing, that's a big deal. And, and then the, the really big thing here is you're getting more yield and you're making more money on, on the farm. So long-term, it's good for everybody, and we can have cleaner water, uh, there's less erosion, I mean, just lots of benefits.
0: We had some questions coming this way to him in an area where there hasn't been much tiling
2: yet. And I've, yep. I've got
0: a friend down in, in the state of Texas, hadn't been anybody around them that tiled, and he said, I, I'm really interested in this, how do I know if it's going to pay? And I said, well, the only way you know is buy a plow put some in if you can't find anybody else to do it and then just see for yourself. Yep. And he's like, well, what if it doesn't work? I said, well, you can sell the tile plow for about the same money you put into it. A used tile plow goes for pretty good money. So worst case scenario, you lose a thousand bucks on the plow. I mean, you've done a lot dumber things to lose money on the farm before. So he put tile in and he called me and we're talking through this, you know, how should I do it and whatever else. And he's got very heavy ground. And I said, that's fine. Just put it in at a 100-foot spacing then if you want. It's not going to be close enough. What you're going to see in your field is you're going to see corn that's taller over those tile lines. And I said, I bet you mid-season I can show you where every tile line is through your field, just looking across the top of the field. Everything I said played out exactly the way that we would expect it to. So I told him, look, when your corn's a foot or two tall, dig roots right over where your tile lines are, dig roots in between the tile lines and see what the difference is. Well, he only had to get like six feet over to the side of the tile line and the plants were significantly shorter. The roots were significantly shorter. And it was amazing the kind of yield difference that he saw even the first year getting started when only a portion of his field was even affected. So then it was very easy for him to say, okay, we need to split those lines. We need to be closer together. And and that was pretty cool. And then by that point already, he had neighbors around him saying what on earth are you doing over there what happened in your field why is the field uneven and he said well this is what i'm doing and everybody wanted to look at the plow and all of a sudden it was can you do some on my ground too and it went from that'll never work down here that'll never work to within just a couple of years uh they're doing custom tiling tiling work for for other farmers in the area so it could be the same for you there are tile plows for sale in the midwest You can often find a a used plow and get a deal on one if you'd like, or you can just buy a new plow and sell it as used if if it doesn't work out for you. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, we'll be right back with more questions after this.
1: What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. ReviTech Fungicide from BASF has been specifically
4: developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide. Brand new chemistry. Three no-excuse modes of action. Zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions.
0: How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hype, Darren Hefty. Give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at AgPhd.com. And while you're there, Check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. This message is for all the corn and soybean
2: growers out there who aren't made of money. If you're using a fungicide other than Zolera FX from UPL, you should know that no corn and soybean fungicide gives you a better return on investment, period. Zolera FX has two high-performance actives delivered at full rates for maximum performance and ROI in corn and soybeans. To see the data, go to ZoleraFX.com and always read and follow label directions.
3: Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva Agriscience, the newest premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean—they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well,
1: it's a little like
3: nice fields. See the difference at kyberherbicide.com/soy. That's k-y-b-e-r herbicide.com/soy. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag
0: PhD Radio. We are broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site following the Ag PhD Tiling Clinic. We're taking questions from our live audience here, and we'll get back to another question right now.
3: Gary from Minnesota. Um, you're just talking that you don't like seeing the intake tiles. and In my area, there's a lot of people putting French drains in but they do do some pattern tiling in the area of also. Mm-hmm. Uh, questions uh, about getting grant money to take and help uh, put the French drains in. Do you know much about that?
2: No. Uh, nope, I don't. So that would be a question for, I assume, your NRCS people over there. But with the French drains, basically you're putting a rock uh, over a drain. And is that going to be better than just having that, that inlet there? Yes. But what we encourage people to usually do is in that area where you got a pothole, have a bunch of tile lines relatively shallow, like two, two and a half feet deep, maybe 15 foot spacing or something like that. It won't be as good, but it's going to drain out fairly quickly. So then we can avoid the use of any of those types of inlets, even the French drain, because... If you, if you study the tile water that's coming out when there's a French drain, it's going to be dirtier than if you just have all your lines down at two and three feet deep down in the ground. So that's why we are big proponents of, if at all possible, just have tile lines there, just have more of them, more shallow, closer together, that kind of thing in those spots. So just just depends on what you want to do. But then, too, um, it depends on where that water is going to go. So I gave the example earlier today of... We have some where it we drain out into a grass waterway. Okay, so it runs over the soil surface, and then we have the chance to catch more of the soil, the chemical, the fertilizer. So all that, that chance stuff. to
0: filter out anything in right, that water. Right, right. We've had a number of these questions come in, Brian, just about inlets and that type of thing. When when is it an okay thing? When is it not? And Brian is just mentioning, hey, if you if you have an inlet, but you can outlet into. Uh, some sort of grass waterway or something like that, where you get another chance to filter, that's great. Uh, But if you're going to outlet directly into a body of water, you're taking a lot of risk there because you don't know what's going to get in that tile line. Also, the other thing with an inlet is the life of your tile is going to be less in most cases because now sediment... Could potentially come in through that inlet so i get it i know exactly what you're saying gary there's tons of them out there and we're not saying oh man it's bad people that are doing this thing no uh you're, you're trying to do what you think you got to do because there's some spots where hey i need some more help i need to get more water out of this area and that's one way to do it but the alternative like brian was saying is just lay more tile lines subsurface and maybe a little bit shallower in those areas to try to uh, pull water out a little faster, increase your drainage coefficient.
2: Yep, so let's just take the example of North Dakota versus Minnesota, okay? In Minnesota, tile drainage has been common for decades, whereas in North Dakota, not so much. And so in North Dakota, what a lot of people would do instead is they'd work on surface drainage. And so any of the potholes that were there, for many people, they're now gone. They cut through that so then the water could drain out. Whereas in Minnesota, a lot of the potholes are still there, which is really better when you stop and think about it for erosion and reducing erosion. That's great that we've left the pothole there so that that soil can't go anywhere unless it goes down the drain. So, I mean, there are lots of different ways to handle it here, and it's, it's not anything where you're, it's legal this way, not legal that way. We're just talking about what are best practices to try to have as little pollution going downstream. We want the water to be as clean as possible because the cleaner it is, the less chance we have in the future for more regulation. And I just, I'm so sick of all the regulation we got already. It's bad enough right now. I don't want any more. We had a number of questions come in about the
0: optimum depth, the optimum spacing and so forth for various soil types. I know you just had a slide up and we've got a slide in our books about uh, just a guideline at least of where to get started. The other thing is just to pay attention to that field over the years and just see if the current tile is not keeping up if you see differences out in the field where man i'm still getting way more yield over the tile lines than halfway in between that's a good sign that you may need some more
2: tile yeah in the beginning it's always a judgment call so you can look at all these charts and everything else but you know what i've found through most of my farming career is most charts and most advice that i get it's wrong so I don't care if it's a university, if it's some other farmer, it's whatever. It, it it It's not perfect. I'm not saying they were trying to do anything bad, but there are different situations. So I maybe want something different than they wanted. So it's always a judgment call. So just get started, and then you kind of go from there.
0: Okay, I had a question come in. Uh, I have high magnesium in my soil. How can I go about decreasing that magnesium level Uh, utilizing subsurface
2: drain tile. Okay, so if you have tile, now we can leach salts away. If you want to lower the magnesium level in your soil, you actually can do it. You just have to turn it into a salt, and the way you would probably do that is with sodium, or sulfur, I should say. Uh, You can use sulfur to reduce sodium levels, and you can use sulfur to reduce magnesium levels, but it's going to take time, and is it really, truly worth it? What we found on our farm, it's, Well, it's important to not have crazy high magnesium levels. It's not like, oh, I can just go spend whatever I want to spend. We got to use our head a little bit and maybe do it slowly over time. But the first part is drainage, because if you don't have the drainage right, you can't leach salts out. Anyway, when you put sulfur together with magnesium, magnesium sulfate is Epsom salts. Very leachable.
0: Go ahead. All right. Uh, Can you... Can you outlet into a closed quarry or gravel pit? Would that be a valid destination for drainage tile?
2: Can you? Well, I can, but I don't know if you can, because I don't know what the regulations are for you. Yeah, if you own it, you sure could. (laughs) If you don't own it and somebody
0: else does, if they give you permission to drain into it, I don't see why you couldn't.
2: But there are wetlands. There are. I mean, there certainly are places you can drain to other than just a creek or a river.
0: Okay, we farm right near a drainage ditch. Uh, we had this uh, several questions like this. Uh, we farm near a blue line, all those kinds of things. Depending on what state you're in, can we use laterals straight into that drainage area, or should the laterals run into a main line so you only have one point that you're putting water into that ditch?
2: It's up to you. Whatever you want to do. So you could do it both ways. A lot of times, people like having everything below ground. Here's just an example. Like, let's compare Iowa to Minnesota. In Minnesota, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's something like 37,000 miles of drainage ditches. So you see all through Minnesota where people are dumping into these drainage ditches. And the problem with that is you can see it. So then you get all these people driving out of Minneapolis that think they're environmentalists, and, oh, this is a problem. In Iowa, they've got tile lines running below ground, and you connect to a tile line, a county main line, in a lot of cases, so nobody sees it. There's far more drainage done in Iowa than there is in Minnesota, but there are far more complaints in Minnesota than there are in Iowa. And that's the reason why.
0: All right, uh, next question. Is there a right and a wrong way to do the layout and pattern for a farm that has rolling hills and variable soils?
2: Well, I would just say, cause that's what we deal with, varying soils and rolling hills. We wanna go, we wanna look at the valleys and we wanna be on each side of the valley as we're going up that hill. And I, I just say, what we've learned over time is instead of just having one tile line on each side of the valley, we'll usually put two on each side of the valley, and then we'll go way up into the hill rather than just staying down in the valley. Because as soon as we drained our valleys, then we realized oh, we can get out in the field a lot earlier, but uh uh-oh, we're getting stuck in the side hills. We had a lot of side hill seepage in that that comes from the erosion that had been done the prior hundred years because in some cases it's not all topsoil there in some cases we hit subsoil on those slopes because of the erosion that had happened prior and that's the reason why we have the uh uh this the, the seat the side hill seat
0: all right last question here uh we've got some old clay tile out in the field but we're also putting in some new tile uh do you ever see a, a positive tying in that new tile into the old clay or should we just tie the new tile into the
2: new and not take the chance that it doesn't work it's kind of like me remodeling an old house now i'm gonna have to tear the whole house down okay and 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 my money was wasted so you can tie into the old tile line but i'd probably just start all new but it depends on what kind of shape that that clay tile is in if it was just put in 30 years ago maybe it's fine but a lot of the clay tile around here was put in 100 years ago there's no way I'm not counting on that at all
0: yeah one of the we were talking about mistakes with tiling and I was chatting just before the meeting today with Gordon who I know has been doing tiling for about 10 years and uh, he said Darren he goes "I'm, I'm 60 years old I've been tiling for the last 10 years it's the best thing I've ever done in my farming career my
2: only regret is that I didn't start sooner Yep, the reason why we talk so passionately about it is tiling has literally transformed our our farm. Our soil's healthier, yields higher, not getting stuck as much. It's awesome. All right, that's it for
0: our show today. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tune in again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.